Since 2018, the nonprofit America's Voice, an immigrant advocacy organization, has been tracking anti immigrant messaging and political campaigns. Zachary Mueller, political director for the organization, talks about how the messaging has changed since the Trump era and how white nationalism has been embraced by mainstream Republicans in their campaigns leading up to November's midterm election. Mueller also talks about how Democrats are tailoring their messages around the border, or in many cases not talking about the border at all. And he has some examples of political candidates who are doing it right. There needs to be more speaking out and challenging of the narratives, he says. I think not just on why the invasion is so dangerous and pushing back on that, but I think also challenging that somehow fentanyl is an immigration issue in any which way whatsoever when it's not. Well, thank you so much, um, Zachary, for joining us on the Border Chronicle. I'm hoping that you could Start talking about, I guess, uh, America's Voice has been tracking nativist and anti-immigrant campaign messaging for the last few years. If you could talk about that project and why you all started it. Yeah, so just to kind of give a bit of a background. So we started in 2018 um, looking around, seeing a bunch of anti-immigrant ads um, from Republican candidates uh, across the spectrum uh, and seeing, hey, you know, is anybody kind of tracking uh, this? Didn't really see a whole lot of that. And so we said, okay, well, we're going to start tracking that. Um, So really, we started this in September of 2018, really trying to see you know, what is Republicans across the board saying in their political advertisements around um, anti-immigrant messaging, other nativist messaging there? What are they saying? And kind of like, what's the coordination there? What are the main themes? So we've been tracking that since 2018, 2019, 2020, uh, 2021, and up until this year. So we track Facebook ads. We track um, kind of the daily Twitter activity um, of candidates, but also their, obviously their TV ads and their campaign emails as well. So really any of their kind of public facing um, political communications, we're tracking that from Republicans across the country and looking to identify any um, forms of racist or uh, xenophobic dog whistles. And then we put those in a public facing database um, for folks to take a look to see if they're candidates in your area that are using these uh, forms of strategic uh, racism. Um, and so just briefly, what we, f- we found already this year is um, as we head into the general election, you know, we, we've already identified uh, 4,000 different pieces of political uh, messaging that are using racist or xenophobic dog whistles and over 2,000 um, different unique ads that are employing uh, kind of a nativist border narrative um, from, from Republicans. So a huge swath of of that already this year before we even get into like the heavy political spend season um, as we head into the general election. Yeah. And how does that messaging break down? I know you have different categories like great replacement, invasion, border crisis. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the different categories that you've seen? Yeah. So um, really what we've identified really is three main areas, um, three main buckets or themes for Republicans going into this election cycle um, for the general election. So the first one is really about open borders. Um, Then we see something about fentanyl or making this kind of spurious connection between illicit drugs and, and asylum seekers. 
and then around invasion and replacement theory. None of this is actually based on any real material fact at all. So, you know, the borders are not open, nor do Democrats or the White House support such a policy. Um, the, fed, the illicit drugs that come into the country come in through the ports of entry, not through asylum seekers, not through migrants, but through um, in, an international criminal syndicate, right, that comes through uh, trucks and cars and other ways. And so it's really not an immigration issue whatsoever. One we're deeply concerned about is this language of um, invasion or replacement, which is tied to the great replacement theory. And folks might remember that um, from it kind of busting into the mainstream um, with the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, um, Virginia in 2017, where an eclectic group of bigots were marching in the street chanting, you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us. This kind of anti-Semitic, uh, nativist, uh, really racist white nationalist conspiracy theory that has now shown up and been adopted by Republican Party uh, candidates who are using that same language in their ads. One, it's not true, and two, it's deeply, deeply dangerous um, to kind of echo the, this kind of uh, white nationalist conspiracy theory that has a direct tie to domestic terrorists and dozens and dozens of murders of our fellow Americans. And, and this great replacement theory invasion messaging, when did that sort of take hold? And is it a, a nationwide thing or is it mostly prevalent in certain states. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could say it was just a few um, bad apples or a few members of Congress, right? But um, unfortunately, what we've seen this year is a real adoption from the uh, Republican Party, from the leadership on down, adopting this sort of language. So take, a, take us back to kind of a little bit how we got here. I, I mentioned um, the Charlottesville um uh, you know, Unite the Right rally in 2017. And that was really a, a horrific event that culminated in, in the murder uh, of an anti-racist activist. Now, the Republican Party and Donald Trump, who were in office at the time, had an opportunity to denounce um, clearly and forcefully the white nationalism, the neo-Nazis, the rank bigotry that was on display there. Um, but they chose to do the opposite, you know, infamously now, right? We remember that Donald Trump said, well, there's good people on both sides. And the Republican Party, the other areas of leadership, just refused to push back in any real significant way on the, the Trump administration on that, really kind of legitimizing it. So we start to see that a little bit more um, in 2018 when there was more heated rhetoric around um, anti-immigrant themes in the election cycle. Um, we saw another horrific uh, mass shooting in Pittsburgh um, where the white nationalist terrorist there um, used language uh, saying that he was trying to stop a migrant invasion before he went and murdered 11 people. Um, in between that and then a horrific attack in El Paso, Texas, where 23 people were murdered, where the, the white nationalist there said he was going to murder people trying to stop the invasion. Donald Trump's campaign ran over 2,000 Facebook ads that use that invasion language in between those two mass killings. Then kind of fast forward, um, over the summer of last year, uh, Rep. Jody Arrington, congressman from Texas, put forward this messaging bill, really trying to take this idea of invasion, uh, this conspiracy theory, and say it actually was real, and trying to give states the authority to declare war independently as an individual state to use military force to forcibly remove asylum seekers, migrants, and refugees. Um, and 
after he kind of put that messaging bill forward, I recently looked, there's over 60 co-sponsors of Republicans signing on to that bill that are legitimizing and normalizing that racist conspiracy theory. But you also have people like Lindsey Graham and uh, Marco Rubio. So leaders in the Republican Party, pre former presidential candidates, members that used to uh, were a part of the Gang of Eight was pushing forward for immigration reform, are now using that same white nationalist um, deadly rhetoric of invasion in their campaign uh, messaging. But also you have leaders like Elise Stefanik, who is the third ranking House Republican, who ran replacement theory ads on Facebook, and then got a lot of really important pushback um, after the, the deadly attacks in Buffalo, her home state, for her ads. She doubled down. That very next day, she sent out a fundraising email to her supporters trying to raise money that's saying that she was the victim, she was the one being attacked for echoing that exact same language as the Buffalo shooter. And so I think when the leadership of the party really engages in this activity, then members all the way down um, to the local level feel like it's okay that they're going to go ahead and engage in that activity as well. And we've seen over 600 different pieces of political uh um, messaging in this cycle from candidates across the country, you know, from Wyoming to Maine to, uh, you know, Minnesota, but but also on the border as well in, in Texas and Arizona using this kind of rhetoric. And really what we've seen actually is in Texas and Arizona, very particularly, um, the Republicans there have really embraced this rhetoric as part of their campaigns, especially uh, the candidacy of Kerry Lake um, who is running for governor of Arizona, has made invasion um, and this kind of white nationalist conspiracy theory a cornerstone of her election campaign. How does this play in elections? Do these candidates win using this type of rhetoric? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question to ask, right? Like, is this effective? Now, I, I think there has been some recent polling, um, one from NPR and Ipsos that came out um, last month, that was really kind of, and there's been other polling as well that's kind of indicated that there is a real belief amongst some segment of the American population believing in this white nationalist conspiracy theory. But just because they believe it doesn't actually make it true, but they think there is a, 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 a real um, segment of the population. We can pretty accurately say that at least 30% of the American people believe some version of, of this uh, replacement and, and invasion theory. Um, and a, a majority of Republicans that are believing um, this racist lie as well. Now, um, we should, I think, really think about this as a, a concerning red flag that says that as Republicans and people in power um, invest millions of dollars in putting forward this racist lie, well, of course people are going to believe it. Um, there is a reason why Coca-Cola invests millions of dollars in their advertising campaigns every year, right? Is that advertising over and over um, puts it at the forefront of people's brains. Now, that said, recent evidence shows that um, this probably is not the most effective general election strategy. Is it maybe a way that they can win through a primary debate where they're trying to out-nativist the other candidate for a very small and shrinking, radicalized MAGA base? Maybe, but it can backfire. Um, we've seen that in actually um, 2017 in Virginia, 
where Republican gubernatorial candidate in Virginia in 2017 ran hard on anti-immigrant rhetoric, um, fear-mongering there. Steve Bannon, um, President Trump's former uh, senior official, claimed that, that that rhetoric was actually going to help him win um, the election cycle. But it didn't. He lost. Um, we also saw that in, in 2018 when... Um, from 2016 to 2018, uh, there was five times as much uh, spending on anti-immigrant ads, and that was overwhelmingly from, from Republicans. And we saw in that election that there was historic wins for Democrats. So clearly it didn't was not effective for them there in 2018. We also can look at um, 2019 in Kentucky and Louisiana, where the gubernatorial candidates there ran hard on anti-immigrant rhetoric. They both lost in red states. Um, and so I think what we can look like um, heading into this election is that Republicans are going to continue to escalate their sort of extremism, embracing this white nationalist conspiracy theories. And I think we can see early in some of the polling um, in, in Arizona that that's not really working. I mean, Mark Kelly has a, has a sizable lead um, in the polls. But I think we will see on Election Day whether, again, the multiracial majority turn out to reject this sort of extremism from, from Republicans. Yeah. And, um, I interviewed you recently for an article for the border Chronicle. One thing I'm really interested is I've noticed a lot of the candidates who run on this invasion rhetoric also run on election denialism, you know, that the 2020 election was stolen by Democrats. Mm -hmm. So they sort of pair these twin narratives together and, uh, you had brought up a, an ad by Blake Masters, who's running for U.S. Senate in Arizona, backed by Peter Thiel, who's, you know, a tech billionaire, tons of money. And uh, it's a particularly noxious campaign ad, which I was hoping you could talk about how he sort of joined those two ideas of the invasion rhetoric with the election denialism and how that kind of works to undermine democracy. Yeah, so th this ad um, comes from Blake Masters' primary campaign. Um, he has since tried to pull that down, right, trying to hide it, um, you know, from, from general election voters, I think was is a little bit of maybe some um, subjective evidence to what you were asking about uh, before. Um, but in this ad really is a version of the replacement theory that, um, is, is pretty clear. Um, so first, uh, he opens up the ad um, having clips from Tucker Carlson. This is after Tucker Carlson was being, you know, uh, put in the press about his incessant use on the great replacement theory. Tucker Carlson even recently, like, has argued very forcefully that he believes in the great replacement theory and uh, that he thinks that that is, that is a real thing. So Blake Masters, um, he's an initial red flag of, like, how he's signaling to voters. But in that ad as well, um, he articulates this idea, this false fiction, that there is somehow 20 million um, uh, illegal immigrants that have been imported uh, into the United States. Now, he uses this language of importation or being imported to kind of signal to this great replacement theory, this kind of false fiction, which is that somehow there's a, a plot from Democrats, the elites, um, to uh, move uh, folks into the United States. 
not somehow the reality of the case, which is that there's forced global migration, people fleeing for their their lives. Um, and at the very end of the ad, right, he calls he uses this language of invasion again, saying that there's an invasion of, of migrants here. And the subtext for that is 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 not subtle, right? Is that the there is an invasion of non-white migrants to come and replace the the, the voting population of, of white voters. And I think. The language of invasion is dangerous for a number of reasons. One, it's dangerous, as we've talked about, about um, courting more racist political violence, as we've already seen. But I think there's more of a, a longer term. When Blake Masters says that there's 20 million um, illegal immigrants, which is a wild exaggeration, entering the country to vote, He's setting up the pretext that if he loses, well, he can then say, well, this is the invasion uh, uh, of these immigrants that came in, that the Democrats brought in this invasion. Well, that's the reason why I lost this election. And for a long time, um, even going back to Donald Trump, when he you know, lost the popular vote um, in 2016, you know, said it was a bunch of, uh, of illegal immigrants voting when there is no evidence of the case that undocumented immigrants vote in any way in, in elections. Um, but this kind of narrative that they're building really helps lay that groundwork um, for their supporters to say, if you believe conspiracy A, well, here now it supports conspiracy B. It, it is really concerning that this is being put on television um, backed by you know a good amount of money. Yeah, I mean, after he talks about the 20 million coming across, he shows these clips of Biden and Kamala Harris saying, we did it, Joe, on her cell phone, you know, and I think there's a picture of Nancy Pelosi also or something like that. Um, so what's the Democrats messaging like around the border? Are they pushing back against this invasion and replacement rhetoric or how are they doing campaign messaging wise? Yeah, you know, I, I would always want more. Um, I, I think it's it's an extremely um, dangerous and urgent situation that we find ourselves in when one of the major of the two political parties is investing so heavily in such a dangerous white nationalist conspiracy theory. I think the moment calls upon Democrats to, to match that um, and to provide, um, you know, facts and also a different narrative for people to hear. Um, that being said, I, I think there are a few examples of, of Democrats doing well um, in, in messaging um, in powerful ways um, in this election cycle. So I think, you know, if other Democrats are looking for how to do this, but other organizations are looking for models to lift up, I think Veronica Escobar, um, the congresswoman who represents El Paso, has um, a number of really powerful um, articulations of where she is talking about the real danger and the real threat um, of these conspiracy theories and how that's affected her own constituents. Um, now, she is not in a difficult race, but I think she has been a, a, a prominent champion and someone to look to to say, here is how to do this well. Um, also looking at Texas, I think um, you know, Better O'Rourke, who's running for governor in that race, has had a number of examples where he has modeled a, a good behavior on how to talk about this. So he, in a number of town halls um, over the summer, has named very explicitly that his opponent, Greg Abbott, has engaged in this invasion rhetoric that led to 23 of his fellow Texans being murdered in El Paso. Um, but then also talking about the need for um, real reforms that lead with our values. 
um, that talks about having a humane and safe border. And I think um, really trying to, to talk about both what Republicans are doing, but also articulating that we act, there, 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 do, there does need to be real solutions here. And we need to talk about those real solutions. Um, and then I think, you know, we, we've seen in, in Arizona, um, Mark Kelly, uh, a more of a, a moderate candidate who is trying to um, do a kind of a both and strategy um, where he will talk about the need for improved ports of entry, both for the economy um, and, and also for um, the folks coming into the United States. But then uh, also talking about the need for support for for dreamers, um, pathway citizenship and, you know, voting the right way on difficult votes. So I I think there's some some Democrats in Florida as well that um, are, are kind of leading the charge about leaning into this moment um, and, and championing for, for, for um, reforms. But, you know, I, I, I would be remiss and I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say that there could be a lot more that needs to be done. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you mentioned uh, Senator Kelly, who's the incumbent running against Blake Masters. And of course, he's supporting Title 42 and 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 really Title 42 has led to a lot of uh, increased deaths and, you know, a higher number of repeat crossers. It's it's not an immigration solution. It's really mm-hmm. making things worse, actually. So it's disappointing to see that. But at the same time, they're not, uh, you know, stoking racial violence and, uh, you know, mass shootings. Yeah. And, and it seems like a really low bar to be able to clear to say, you know, don't don't stoke mass shootings and don't demonize immigrant communities. Um, but I think we have to be honest as well that that wasn't always the case for the Democratic Party. Um, that, uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago that. Democratic candidates, you know, 2018 were running ads with the Border Patrol Union in, in their ads. Um, and we're not we're not seeing that this cycle. And I think, you know, for um, communities that care about having pro-immigrant uh, uh, policies, um, creating a pro-immigrant country, um, creating policies um, that allow us to get to the place where we can have the reforms necessary to um, find a pathway to citizenship for our 11 million undocumented neighbors. I do think um, as, mu- as much as there is more yet to go, I do think we should also acknowledge that we have won um, a lot on the, the values, the messaging, the kind of sentiment, both I think inside the Democratic Party and also the country writ, writ large, that the majority is with us on these issues. They, they support immigration, they support immigrants, they support asylum um, policies, they want to be a welcoming nation. And so I think you know we should have the confidence to, to, to say that we are part of that majority. Um, I think Democrats should have that confidence as well. Unfortunately, we see the kind of um, vitriol um, and, a, and a loud speaking from Republicans, right? I just kind of want to note that, you know, like, I, I think we have to hold those things both both in our heads at the same time. Right. And and also, you mentioned the money. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars invested in this anti-immigrant campaign messaging, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Democrats are talking about different stuff entirely. They're not really talking about the border that much. So you've got this, it's like a David versus Goliath thing where this really extreme messaging about the border is basically so dominant now. Um, there's just 
not that much investment on the other side to push back against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and, th- and that's kind of what I'm indicating, right, about um, there needs to be more, um, more speaking out, more more challenging um, of the narratives, right? When Republicans have um, the space to themselves, well, it's not surprising that more Americans start to believe that disinformation when they're not hearing a, a different narrative. And I think there is a, a real tension, right? And I think we should also, you know, know that when you look at public opinion polling um, for Democrats, independents, immigration is, is not a top issue um, for voters as they're going to the polls. Now, it is an important issue for a an important segment of the Democratic coalition, and Democrats need to speak to them and need to speak to these issues, and they need to not cede ground. Because um, if they're going to win the debate, they first have to engage that debate. Um, and I think that we have to, you know, um, as an advocate, right, someone who's fighting for immigration reform on a daily basis, I'm trying to keep those those um, in my mind as well, too, that knowing that, like, we, we want them to speak out more and we want them to speak out forcefully, but also knowing that there's also lots of other priorities that um, they need to speak about at, at this moment, because we're, we're facing a, a wave of extremism from Republicans. And I think it would be helpful, um, not only for Democrats, but other organizations to engage and say, look, their extremism on immigration, their extremism on how to um, have a, a policies of, of cruelty and chaos at the border is part of their larger um, sorts of extremism on abortion, on guns, on on anti-democratic attacks. And I think we want to fit in part of that larger conversation. And, you know, hopefully we'll we'll be able to be in a position to kind of push for for reforms outside of the general election here coming as well. Yeah. And and so the Republican Party has invested, you know, millions and millions in in their messaging around the border. Are they offering any type of solution other than fear mongering? Are there do they have any types of plans that they're offering to fix things? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the short answer is no, um, because what's in these ads right, is a sort of strategic racism. And what I mean by that is consciously invoking racist ideas through coded words and language and imagery to invoke racist fears and anxieties in voters and doing that intentionally. Um, and But what they're not offering, right, like what you're saying, right, is any real solutions to how to um, address um, issues of global migration. I mean, climate change um, is going to make that a fact of, uh, of the world, um, regardless of, of what the politics are. And so, you know, we can, as the United States, be uh, able to manage that, that process in a fair, safe, and humane way. Um, but that's not what Republicans are interested in talking about. When they're talking about immigration um, in their ads, or they're talking about migrants more more generally, um, or open borders, um, it isn't actually to talk about the issue of immigration whatsoever. It's a way to talk about identity. It's a way to talk about um, fears over safety, over benefits, and racialize those ideas, not have a real conversation about fixing or having real policy solutions. Now, when pressed to put forward policy to solutions, all they say is we need to go back to the Trump administration. We need to go and build a wasteful wall, spend $15 billion on a wall that can be cut down with a $15 saw. Or, you know, they'll want to talk about um, their kind of cruelty and chaos agenda, which was allow no asylum seekers in, separate families, put children in cages, right? Create conditions that are deeply disturbing and dehumanizing and really cause real harm to, to 
migrants seeking asylum at our borders. And what they hope for is that they can actually remove asylum altogether, make sure that asylum is no longer um, the established law that has been for decades in this country, where folks fleeing violence, fleeing for their lives, are able to come uh, to the United States and be a part of that American dream. And that that's really the solutions that they have are closing the borders, sealing them off completely, which I don't think is actually a real solution, nor is it tenable with the American people. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of Trump's uh, policies are still in place, like Title 42 anyway. And and none of that is solving anything. It's just making things worse, basically. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, what's what's the uh, like the alternative, right, is that we could we could have a safe, humane and fair system or we could do what Republicans want to do and try to somehow um, continue and to double down on failed policies. A deterrence only policy like has not worked, nor will that stop migration. It just won't. We, 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 we've tested that. We know it. We know that to be the case. Right. So we can continue to try that failed strategy or try to. Um, you know, create a pathway to citizenship for our 11 million undocumented neighbors, or as Republicans suggest, you know, we can strip uh, and dismantle the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, the DACA program for Dreamers, um, and start a program of mass deportation, which will not only separate families, tear apart communities, and be horribly devastating for all of those who um, either are family or friends from those communities, but also just like deeply devastating to the American economy. Um, and so like, regardless um, uh, uh, of how you feel about um, some of these issues, I think, you know, if you pull away just even the, the slight veneer of what Republicans are putting forward, you realize that it's, um, it would be laughable if it wasn't so cruel and dehumanizing their kind of complete um, lack of any real policy solution on this issue. Yeah. So, so what can people do to sort of push back against this really, um, corrosive rhetoric? What can people do? Yeah. So I, I, I think there is a role for, for media and I think for regular people, um, you know, you are the readers and consumers of media, right? And so if you're seeing, um, misinformation in, in, in that where, where media is, replicating um, false GOP talking points, right? Write a letter to the editor, like correcting that information. We at America's Voice have lots of fact sheets to kind of back that up. Um, and I think for reporters themselves, right? Like holding Republicans accountable that you're spending a million dollars in ads talking about a, an open border or, or fentanyl and invasion and none of that's actually true and trying to hold them accountable. Um, and I think that kind of goes to the second bucket here is for, for regular voters. Um, is that whether you can vote or not, um, you know, you, you're a part of your community. And I think, you know, it isn't just saying go out and vote harder um, in this election, right, to be able to win. But I think, you know, voting is a thing we do one, on one day um, of the year. Um, but there's a real important part of like organizing in your communities, communicating to your neighbors, your families and friends, not only, um, about you know the things that you stand for, but also about the real threats that that are faced upon our communities. This invasion rhetoric, this replacement theory rhetoric, and the rhetoric coming from Republicans is putting a target on the backs of our fellow Americans because of the color of their skin or the accent that they speak with. 
And that's a real threat. And I think we need to make sure that we are organizing our communities. We are voting if that's possible. If not, helping other folks get to the polls to vote, because that's the real challenge here. And whether or not it is your elected member, um, because like, look, like uh, there are the Paul Gosers in, in Arizona, which is in a safely red district, which is going to be really, really difficult to, to, to get him out of office. Now, if you're in those districts, you should definitely go out and you should be a part of the electoral process as well. Um, don't sit it out just because of that is the case. But there are other candidates, um, you know, take uh, uh, Juan Siscomani, who is a Republican running um, in, in Arizona. Uh, he's in a battleground race. And the very first vote that any uh, member of Congress takes is for Speaker of the House. And he has, you know, taken money from Elise Stefanik, who has run replacement theory ads. He has not said that he will not vote for Kevin McCarthy for speaker if they win House, even though Kevin McCarthy says he's going to bring Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene into committee hearings. And I think there are some real efforts to say, look, you're going to vote to empower this sort of extremism. And I think there are real opportunities um, in real races here for voters and regular folks to organize, to hold elected leaders accountable. You know, if you are talking to a Democratic candidate, right, or you want to write to them as well, too, ask them to speak out. Make sure that they know how important it is to you and your community that elected leaders, uh, no matter what side of the party line they are, are forcefully speaking out and denouncing white supremacy. Because I think evidence in academia shows that when elected leaders denounce and give no quarter uh, to racist conspiracy theories, that actually helps um reduce the likelihood of these violent attacks. But I think it's also important that elected leaders do that if we're actually gonna fulfill the American promise of a multiracial democracy. So again, I think there's work for regular folks to do to, to talk to reporters, to, to push on Republican candidates, and also to push on Democratic candidates here in these next several months to let folks know like how important and how serious this is, not only just uh, to ourselves, but to the future of our country. Border Chronicle is reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona. This interview was edited by me, Lily Clark. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us on your favorite podcast platform. It'll help other people find the show. You can read and listen to more local border reporting on our website, theborderchronicle.com. Thank you.